Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. The title of today's message, if you want the boring title, is Church is Essential Part 2. Church is Essential Part 2. That's kind of boring. So how about this? The title of today's message is Rebellion to Tyrants is Obedience to God. Rebellion to Tyrants is Obedience to God, or this, Church is, and always has been, gospel sedition. Church is gospel sedition. Not only is church essential, church is gospel sedition. The church has always been oppressed. The church has always been opposed. The church has always been persecuted. The church has always had its enemies, and representatives of the state have always been amongst them. Who is it that put the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, to death? The united state of Rome and Israel put Jesus Christ, our King, to death. Who persecuted our forefathers in the faith throughout the book of Acts? Rome and Israel, the governments thereof and the people thereof. The church is gospel sedition. It always has been. And it always will be. For Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the authorities of this world tend to oppose him, overthrowing their position and their power. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Matthew 12, verse 30. Matthew 12, verse 30. The Lord Jesus speaking. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Hear that one more time. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Hear me, dear saints. There is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. No man, no woman is neutral. No state is neutral. The Lord Jesus does not honor any declared Swiss men, any men, women, or states that would declare them to be Swiss, that would declare themselves to be neutral. He does not recognize their neutrality. You're either with him or you're against him. Whatever flag you fly, if it's not the banner of Christ, then it's opposed to Christ. It's against Christ. Every knee must bow to Christ. Every government must bow to Christ. And they will. They will. He who is not with me is against me. Adam Clark, a great commentator of old, said this, There is no medium between loving the Lord and being his enemy, between belonging to Christ or to Satan. If we be on the side of the devil, we must expect to go to the devil's hell. If we be on the side of Christ, we may expect to go to his heaven. When Christ... His truth and His servants are assaulted. He who does not espouse their cause is not on Christ's side, but incurs the guilt of deserting and betraying Him. There are many, it is to be feared, in the world who are really against Christ and scatter abroad, who flatter themselves that they are workers together with Him and of the number of His friends. The Lord Jesus does not accept neutrality. The Lord Jesus does not accept lukewarmness. 
you will be spewed forth from his mouth. He who is not with me is against me. Dear saints, I invite you today to be decidedly with and for Christ. To stand with Christ together as the church of Christ on the Lord's day, worshiping. To stand with Christ day by day in your lives, in your prayers, as you go to the Word to be renewed in the mind and conformed to the image of Christ, as you go to work, to work for the glory of Christ your King, as you abide in your homes as husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, that you would encourage love and good works for the honor of Christ your King, as you go out into the community, that you would be messengers of Christ, that your feet would be shod to the preparation of the gospel of peace, and that we together corporately as a church would not just gather as some hospital for the lame and injured, but gather as the army of God to be trained to advance the kingdom of Christ in the earth and then march forth to that end as all generations of Christians have done before us. And as we see on the pages of Acts, he who is not with me is against me. Are you with Christ? Are you decidedly with him? And what would it mean to be with him? What would it look like to be with Christ? Attending church is the beginning. It's part and parcel of it. It's foundational to it. But it's not the end all. If we can't even attend church, if we can't even worship the King, if we can't even gather to be edified, if we can't even gather to encourage love and good works, then certainly we are challenged in any claim to be with Christ. But there's much more. There's much more we'll see in Scripture. For he says, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. The vast majority of professing Christians have been happy throughout the generations to attend church. But far too few stand up after the church service and go, therefore, to make disciples. To call all men everywhere to repentance. To call all men everywhere to bend their knee to the King. To serve and honor the King. To give their life, their sweat, their blood for the King. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. To be with Christ is not a mere testimony. To be with Christ is not a mere attendance. To be with Christ is to be on mission for Christ. To be engaged in His great commission. To be engaged in the cause of the creation of the cosmos. To seek and to save the lost for the glory of God. The cause of the creation of the cosmos, the drama of redemption for the glory of God. And redemption does not take place in a vacuum. Redemption takes place as faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. As those with feet shod of the preparation of the gospel of peace go therefore. And so Matthew twelve thirty, He was not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There is no neutrality. We need to be decisively And decidedly for Christ. Not just theologically. Not just on the Lord's day. But for Christ's mission. Absolutely theologically. Absolutely on the Lord's day. And absolutely on His mission. For He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. This world system is opposed to Christ. 
You're either for Christ or against Christ. There is no neutral ground to stand on. The Lord Jesus is quite clear in John chapter 8, where He says, If God were your Father, you would love Me. If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of Myself, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand My speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. You're either of Christ or the devil. You're either of God and if you're of God you receive Christ and you receive his word as the word of God or you're of the devil. If you have no appetite for the word of God, if you have no desire for the word of God, then you have no claim on Christ. No claim on God the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And you are of your father, the devil. Jesus says in John 8, 47, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. You're either of God or not of God. You're either of Christ or of the devil. And if you're of God, if you're of Christ, you receive the word of God. If you're of the devil, you have no appetite for the word of the God thereof. Let us further remind ourselves of this truth, this distinction, this black and white reality from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let's just break it down here. You're either alive... Or you're dead. No one is mostly dead. No one is partly dead. You're alive or you're dead, spiritually speaking. How dead? Oh Lord, can these bones live, these dry bones. You're exceedingly dead. You're dusty. You're dry. There is no earthly power that can revive you. You, He, that's God, He made alive. That's the only power that can revive you, the power of God, the omnipotent, sovereign power of the Almighty. You, He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so you're either a child of God or a child of wrath in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. In John 8, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And the children of wrath in Ephesians 2 are those same children of the devil in John 8 because those children of wrath in Ephesians 2 walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air who is the devil. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. If you're a son of disobedience, you're a child of the devil, you're walking according to the course of this world, this whole world system serves the evil one. They're united under the evil one against God and his Christ, Psalm 2. And we all, it says, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're thus by nature, it's our nature, Outside of a new nature given to us through the Spirit of God, regenerated, outside of a new nature through Christ, our nature is that of children of wrath. 
children of the devil, children of the spirit or prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so this is the world reality, that there are those who are for Christ. They're decidedly, definitely for Christ. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. They're for Christ theologically. They're for Christ in worship. They're for Christ in service. Not creative disobedience service, but actual service in that which Christ has commanded. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If you're not actively gathering with Christ, then you're scattering abroad. Oh, that we would be decidedly, consistently for Christ, for His cause, for His mission and not be part of this world's sedition against Christ. You see, you're going to be part of one sedition or another. Either Christ's sedition against this world system beneath the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, or Satan's sedition against the ruler of the cosmos, your God, your creator, your king. Think about that when you choose on a daily basis how you're going to spend your day, what you're going to do. In that activity, are you trying to be neutral? Or worse, are you actually joining the world in its sedition against your king, against your God? Or are you actively obeying your king and you're part of the sedition against this world system that is opposed to your king, your Lord, your God, your creator? So choose this day which sedition you'll be part of. The sedition against God or Christ's sedition against mankind's rebellion and oppression of God's people. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Church is and always has been gospel sedition. Consider the state of man's heart as found in Romans chapter 3 verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the summation of their problem. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't understand God. They don't seek God. They've turned aside. They have altogether, for all things righteous, become unprofitable. They don't do good. Even what that which looks good is not good. It's tainted. It's filthy rags before a holy God. Their throat is an open tomb. What comes out of their throat? It's from a dead heart, from a wicked heart. With their tongues, they practice deceit. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Swift to shed blood. If ever that was true of a generation, it's true of this one now. We are a bloody, genocidal generation. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Is not that the history of mankind from the first family in the garden? Did not the children of Adam and Eve murder one another? Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their 
eyes. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. They don't have the beginning of knowledge. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They have no knowledge of God. They have no understanding. They are utterly and wholly lost. They're not neutral. They're not neutral. They are opposed to God. And they're part of a world system beneath Satan, opposed to God and His Christ, your King. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evil men do not understand justice. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. They have no foundation for it. If they happen on to a bit of justice, it's stolen. It's stolen from Christ. From Christ. What do I mean? Well, Christ possesses it. Colossians 2.3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He possesses it. If they have some wisdom or knowledge, they've stolen it from Christ. It's not innate within them. And the further we get as a culture from God and His Christ, the further we get from any wisdom and knowledge, any ability to attain it, grasp it, hold on to it. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, But to those who are called, the elect, the predestined, the chosen, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, that's all of humanity, but to those who are called out of humanity, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's the power of God into salvation and He's the pinnacle of the wisdom of God. And we, by the grace of God, are that people. We are that people. 2 Corinthians 4 speaks of the gospel being veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded. Again, he has a rule that God has allowed over this world system for a season. And thus he has blinded the minds of the unregenerate. He has blinded the minds of those who are following him to their destruction. Lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Second Corinthians 4, verse Four. Verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, speaking of Genesis 1-1, or Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hear me, you are no better, no better than your neighbor who is serving the evil one, who is part of that world system opposed to God and His Christ. You are better off by God's amazing grace alone. You're better off and that God has illumined your mind, that God has opened your blind eyes, that you might see His holiness and that you might learn the fear of God, that God has regenerated your dead soul, that you might repent and confess Christ as Lord. It is God who has brought the light of the gospel to you that you might behold the glory of Christ that you might know the beginning of wisdom and knowledge that you might confess Christ as Lord and be saved so we need to know where we are at what sedition are you part of think about it on a daily basis think about it on an hourly basis What sedition are you part of? Are you part of the devil's sedition against God? Are you part of mankind's sedition beneath the devil against God? Are you part of Christ's sedition against this world system beneath the devil and the men who serve Him? The church is gospel sedition. The church has always stood against 
the devil and this world system, and the devil and this world system have always stood against Christ and his church and his gospel. There's a war on, saints. There's a war on. And in a world or an environment or a nation or a state in which for a season Christianity has taken a seat of power, it's shameful to be part of the sedition against God. It's shameful to be part of the seditious acts. We call them sins. But in a post-Christian era, a post-Christian world, culture, state, it's shameful to stand for Christ. Which is why Paul has to say something like this in Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because the whole world is shaming it. The whole world shames the God who is holy, holy, holy and sends sinners to hell. The God who dares define sin and sinners and send them to hell. The God that dares call a man a man and a woman a woman. And there's nothing in between except perversion. And so we live in a world that is now post-Christian, a nation and certainly a state and certainly a city that is very much post-Christian, opposed to Christ. Opposed to his truth, opposed to his law, opposed to his gospel, most certainly opposed to his rule, his governing power. Which sedition are you part of actively? Which sedition are you lending your strength to, lending your time to, lending your mind to, lending your heart to, lending your labor and sweat, and if God requires it, your blood? Church is gospel sedition. Pastor John Stonewall MacArthur said the following on the Eric Metaxas radio show this last Wednesday, July 29, 2020. That's right, John Stonewall MacArthur. Quote, If we didn't have a First Amendment, it would be right to resist the efforts to close the church. Look, the whole history of Christianity is a history of resistance We're the original protesters. 500 years ago, we started the Protestant movement. We're still protesting lies and deception for the sake of the truth. Where is the strength and the backbone and courage to stand up and defend the gospel and the church in the world and not lay down and take whatever the government wants to do? Persecution doesn't hurt the church. It purges the church. People say... You shouldn't be dying on this hill. You ought to wait until the LGBT laws come down and die on that hill. No! The first hill we come to will die on that hill for the sake of the freedom to preach the gospel in this country. If we didn't have the freedom, we'd preach it anyway. And we'd open the church. We'd open the church if they put us in jail for doing it. End quote. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Amen. Pastor MacArthur hasn't backed up on their declaration from just over a week ago. He has pressed in. He's pressed in repeatedly and very publicly. And praise God, he's been contacted by some officials, even in Washington, D.C., saying we stand with you and we will literally stand with you legally if need be. Unfortunately, Pastor MacArthur has repeatedly said in his public interviews that there are no, no, Leading, pivotal, evangelical, Christian, reformed or otherwise, leaders standing with him. No one, not even his friends, he said, have called him to say, 
we're standing with you in this. It's shameful. It's shameful. It's cowardice. Brothers and sisters, dear saints, Pastor MacArthur mentioned that we have a long history of Reformed Protestant resistance to tyranny. God-hating tyrants will never learn to fear God when God's people cower before them in silence. May God give us more bold-hearted reformers like George Wishart, who trained up the likes of John Knox, who boldly prayed, Give me Scotland or I die, and then preached fearlessly to that end, despite the real threats of the Roman Catholic tyrants of his day. John Knox didn't learn stuffy, academic, or safely neutered Reformed theology and ministry from his martyred mentor who was burned at the stake by the Catholic Church and laid in an inglorious grave that now lies beneath parking spot 23 in Edinburgh, Scotland. Far from it. In fact, Knox carried a two-handed broadsword around Scotland as a Reformation warrior bodyguard, protecting Wishart as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ both in churches and in the open air in defiance of the Catholic Church and Catholic government. This seminal experience was like an infusion of red-hot Reformed theological steel being pumped into Knox's spine. And oh, that we would have that today. When Knox put down his earthly broadsword and took up the sword of the Spirit, his courageous preaching and prayers could not be contained within the four walls of the church. They set the Catholic world and its soul-damning Antichrist sacramental system of works righteousness on fire. The Roman Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, gave this unintended compliment to Knox. Quote, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Catholic tyranny and heresy could not stand the fire and hammer of the Word of God preached and prayed by God's preacher, John Knox. As Jeremiah 23:29 says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? While the day of Roman Catholic tyranny has passed largely from the earth, we must ask ourselves, is secular atheist tyranny so different? And should the biblical response to secular atheist tyranny be so different? Do today's atheistic tyrants fear our preaching and our prayers, or do we live in fear of their antichrist agendas, activism, riots, unjust policies, and tyrannical mandates? Is Christ's great commission to be bound by Catholic or atheist tyrants? The biblical answer is an emphatic no. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wishart taught Knox to fear God alone and no earthly power by preaching the gospel fearlessly in the face of certain persecution and likely martyrdom at the hands of tyrannical Catholic authorities. Knox learned his lesson well and helped raise up an army of Reformed preachers who freed Scotland from the tyranny of Roman Catholic rule and heresy by courageously preaching the word of God in the pulpit and on the street. May God raise up men today with resolute steel in their spines who will fearlessly preach God's law and gospel in America's pulpits and streets in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ's great commission and in defiance of today's secular, atheist, 
anarchist, Marxist, Black Lives Matter, homosexual activist, baby genocide supporting tyrants. May God hating tyrants in every age, be they Catholic or atheist, and under every flag, learn the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God, from preachers who fear nothing but God and preach the gospel in the pulpit and in the open air accordingly. What will end the advance of Marxism, saints? What will end the advance of atheistic Marxism? Hear me, it's satanic. And it is advancing in the earth again. What will end racism? What will end the sexual revolution that has resulted in 1.6 billion murdered babies? What will end the tsunami of sexual perversion and gender rebellion sweeping America and the rest of the world? What will defeat the army of sexual deviants determined to destroy our children and our grandchildren? Determined to destroy their lives, their minds, their bodies, and their souls. What will end Black Lives Matter and its antichrist agenda of sexual perversion, gender rebellion, abortion, and the destruction of the family unit as God has designed it and defined it? What will end the riots and put out the flames burning in our cities? C.H. Spurgeon has rightly said, The mission of the church is to go into all the world and to tell out the gospel to every creature. There will be oppression unless the gospel is spread. This is the one balm for all earth's wounds. The greatest help that can be given to any people is the preaching of the gospel. Keep to the gospel, brethren, and you will keep to the one universal, never-failing remedy. The gospel in the pulpit, saints, and the gospel in the streets is the one universal never-failing remedy to all of man's woes. It's the remedy to Satan's uprising against God. It's the remedy to this world system that is opposed to God and His Christ. Just over a week ago, Pastor John MacArthur closed his call for Christ's church in America to stand up for Christ against government tyranny with this sentence. Our prayers that every faithful congregation will stand with us in obedience to our Lord as Christians have done through the centuries. I want to once again reiterate, by the grace of God, our church will be part of the answer to Pastor MacArthur and GCC's prayers. The seating section right over here is reserved for anyone concerned about their health that feels the need to social distance. If you've been out of church these last months, and there's some still out, and perhaps there's some that have never been in our church, but they're out of church because you know what? There are tens of thousands of believers whose churches are closed in the Portland area. If you've been out of church these last months for health concerns, I again encourage you to mask up and use that seating section in obedience to your king. If you're risking leaving your home to go to other essential places, I urge you to consider going to church as essential as well. It's time for Christ Church in America, see to shining sea, to stand up for Jesus Christ against tyranny as soldiers of the cross. It's time for Christ Church to stand together and collectively and clearly say to our government officials who are far beneath Christ our King, church is essential. Tragically, the churches in the Portland area and in many others, have united together to say the opposite. A statement of unity regarding the reopening of churches in Oregon went out several months ago and has not been removed or altered. Now, my prayer is some of the churches since then have recanted, but I have my doubts. 
when this initially started, that statement was more responsible, I will say. And yet, even then, I never would have signed it. I never would have been party to it because I had my suspicions from the start as to the authenticity of the reports regarding the threat of COVID-19 to the population and as to the authenticity of the hearts of those reporting on it who seem to have an agenda far beyond protecting our nation, our states, and our cities and the populations thereof from this disease. The lies and deception have been prolific. The exaggerations of alarm have been extensive. But beyond, I believe, a faulty understanding of the threat and a faulty response to that threat biblically, there is the issue, the the larger issue, of ecumenical unity and whether or not churches rightly come together in ecumenical unity that undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. And an ecumenical unity that declares it the Christian thing to do to close the church down is an ecumenical unity I'm always going to be far more than suspect of. What madness has come upon the church to gather with churches that are apostate, churches that assault the gospel regularly and assault the God of the gospel and God's word and the doctrines they teach and preach, to unite with them in saying we're going to close the church. I have here the list of churches, and it goes on for over two pages, church after church after church. And amongst them are churches that deny the God of Scripture, that deny the reality of hell, that deny the substitutionary atonement. Uh, Among them are Reformed churches, Baptist churches, Bible churches, Calvary Chapel churches, Charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. They're all there. One of the largest churches in Portland, right here on Walker Road, Beaverton Foursquare Church, is right there toward the top of the list. I see churches that I've met the pastors of at the Shepherds Conference on this list. Cedar Mill Bible Church is on the list. Good Shepherd Community Church is on the list. The Greater Portland Bible Church, which is that massive charismatic church, it's on the list. Henson Baptist, Imago Dei, the heretical church downtown with its apostate pastors, it's on the list. On and on it goes. Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, they're all on the list, dear saints. But back to the Beaverton Foursquare church on the list. It's one of the closest churches to us physically on the list and just physically out of any church in the area. While declaring that we're not going to meet as churches, what I'm finding, not just in the Portland area, but universally, what I'm finding is that these churches are coming out in support of Black Lives Matter. These churches are coming out in support of these marches and rallies. And Pastor Brad Williams, the new pastor of the Beaverton Foursquare Church, is one of those pastors. In fact, he's seen here in this picture with two other pastors of large churches, East Hill and another, down at the Portland Black Lives Matter rally in downtown Portland. This is appalling in that there's no social distancing, no, no masking going on there, no concern for the safety of the populace. And we are standing up for this cause, this Black Lives Matter cause that is 
antichrist that is pro-homosexual, pro-lesbian, pro-bisexual, pro-transgender, pro-abortion, anti-family. We're willing to go and gather for that. And the response on the Beard and Foursquare website, the response to him going and being part of the Black Lives Matter march and rally from his congregants goes like this. Yes to this. Love to see leaders in my church speak up and act. Thank you. Awesome, Brad. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for leading by example, Pastor. Leading by example. So now it's the right thing, and this is just a microcosm. The church up the street is a microcosm of what's going on in the church in America and the church in Portland at large. The right thing to do is to shut down the church and go to the BLM rally. That's the right thing to do. That's the moral thing to do. Now, it should be no surprise to you that Brad Williams, who I called pastor errantly earlier, forgive me, he's not a pastor, he's not a qualified man, he's an enemy of Christ, he's an antichrist, that Brad Williams treats homosexual men and women as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what do I mean? I mean, there are men and women in homosexual relationships and marriages, unrepentant homosexual men and women that he will baptize as brothers and sisters in Christ and put into ministry positions in the church. That is rank apostasy. That blasphemes our Lord. It blasphemes His gospel. It blasphemes the power of the Holy Spirit. It blasphemes Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance, what happened to repentance? They must repent. That is blasphemy, saints. It's another gospel that is not another And that, again, is a microcosm of what's going on in the church at large. The church at large. This woke movement, this social justice movement, this BLM movement, this LGBT movement, it's come into the church of Jesus Christ. And it is no surprise to me that Many of the same churches that are willing to bow down before the state and close the church are also willing to show up at the BLM rallies and willing to call unrepentant, homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, transgender sinners, sinners as as opposed to saints, to call them brothers and sisters in Christ. That is not a shock to me or a surprise to me, and it shouldn't be to you either. It's tragic, it's terrible, it's blasphemous, but it's not a surprise, saints. Weak and cowardly pastors and churches that do nothing to defend or advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in the earth abound. Compromising pastors and churches who gladly form gospel-compromising ecumenical unions with antichrist churches for a variety of earthly causes abound. Apostate, woke, social justice, BLM churches abound. Churches that invite unrepentant fornicators to walk and worship alongside them as brothers and sisters in Christ abound. Churches that invite unrepentant adulterers to walk and worship alongside them as brothers and sisters in Christ abound. Satan's Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Reformed, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Evangelical pastors and churches who invite 
unrepentant men and women who support the bloody slaughter of unborn babies to worship alongside them, singing about how they love God as they actively support the genocide of 1.6 billion babies abound. Did you get the first word of that sentence? It was a bit of a run-on sentence. Satan's. It doesn't matter what other flag they fly. If they are inviting unrepentant supporters of the genocide of 1.6 billion babies into their church and calling them brothers and sisters in Christ, then they are Satan's churches. And one further sentence. Satan's Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Reformed, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Evangelical pastors and churches that welcome unrepentant homosexuals, lesbians, bisexuals, transgenders, and every other unrepentant sexual deviant to worship alongside them as non-binary What do I call them? Non-brothers? Non-sisters? I mean, the Bible knows brothers and sisters, right? But once you open the door to homosexuals and lesbians, non-binaries, what do you call them? You've got to make up a new term for this Holy Spirit-filled Christian who's not a brother or sister? Do you see the madness? Hear me. Any so-called church that does that, no matter what doctrine they hold to, no matter what flag they're flying, no matter what tradition they've come from, they are Satan's church. They are Satan's pastor. They're part of the world system that is opposed to God and His Christ. They're part of Romans 1's rebellion against God, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. 1 Peter 4.17 says, The time has come for our judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. What we see in our nation is a judgment upon the apostate church, the compromising church, the church that has been long calling unrepentant sinners saints of God. Starting with fornicators, then adulterers, then homosexuals and lesbians and supporters and promoters of the slaughter of the unborn at the hands of the abortion industry. But the word of God is clear that judgment begins at the house of God. The house of God across these United States is largely the house of Satan, or as Revelation calls it, the synagogue of Satan. If a professing church or professing pastor alters the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's become a synagogue of Satan. When we remove the command of Christ to repent and believe the gospel, it becomes a synagogue of Satan. When we redefine Christian to include someone who has not repented nor believed the gospel, it has become a synagogue of Satan. Believing the gospel is not some casual assent to this guy named Jesus who once lived, died, and rose again. Or even the God-man named Jesus who once lived, died, and rose again. Believing the gospel is bending your knee to the King, confessing Him as your Lord, and rising to serve Him as such. Thus, repentance is part and parcel of that through the power of God. It is the grace of God. It is a mercy of God. It is a work of God. Salvation is not something we author. It's not something we do. It's not a mere mental ascent. It's not adding Jesus to your life. It's not showing up in a so-called church. It's really a synagogue of Satan and waving your hands back and forth to some hip songs, sitting through a 20-minute sermon, Wrongly so-called, because you'll never get a biblical conviction out of it. 
Judgment begins with the house of God. And saints, you have friends and family members in these churches. You know people in these churches. Love them enough to speak to them. Call them out of them. The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Why are our cities burning? Not because of the sinners, but because of the saints. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Obey it. Obey it. It's not to be merely believed intellectually. It's to be believed in such a way that it is obeyed. Christ is your Lord. He's your King. He's your Master. Thus you have good claim upon Him as your Savior. We, we think we're being merciful when we invite unrepentant sinners in and call them brothers and sisters of Christ. No, we're hating them. We're hating them and we're hating Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says, The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Christ is coming with fiery vengeance for those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This evangelical flippancy, this reformed flippancy, this Bible church flippancy with the person of Jesus Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords, holy, 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 fully God, has resulted in an unholy church with unholy, unregenerate sinners not worshiping Jesus, blaspheming Jesus as they sing their songs and live their unholy lives all week long. Oh, that God would grant repentance to His church. Our elder brother Charles Spurgeon warns us with these words, A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. That time has come. Clowns entertaining goats. Church is gospel sedition. We are not to be at peace in this world. We're not to be at peace with Satan and this world system. There's a war on. Spurgeon said this, That very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. The church the world likes best is the church that God abhors. The church that compromises with the woke social justice BLM movement is the church the world loves and God hates. He abhors it. The church that compromises with the homosexual revolution going on and calls active, unrepentant homosexuals brothers and sisters in Christ and baptizes them as such is the church that Christ will crush beneath his feet. For it's no church at all. It's a synagogue of Satan. He will put it beneath his feet. It is his enemy. He who is not with me is against me. That's not with Christ. It's against him and he is against it. C.H. Spurgeon rebukes this kind of apostasy. The kind of apostasy up the road at the Beaverton Foursquare Church. He says this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood, to denounce injustice, and to uphold righteousness is a church that has no right to be. 
How dare these apostate pastors show up at a BLM rally, but never show up outside the abortion clinic? They're cowards. They're antichrist. They're part of this world system. They show up for a pro-abortion BLM rally. A pro-perversion BLM rally. But they can't show up to preach the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ downtown Portland on a nice sunny Saturday afternoon that homosexuals and lesbians and average fornicating sinners might be saved, might come into conviction of sin, repent and be saved. Oh, my friends, these men at the helm of these synagogues of Satan, they're antichrist. They're part of the wrong sedition. And they've united together saying the church shall remain closed. I pray they forever remain closed. May their doors never open, for they do not serve Christ, but Satan. Charles Spurgeon, in a message titled, The Church as She Should Be, said this, It is high time that each church should feel that if it does not work, the sole reason for its existence is gone. The reason for a church being a church dies, its mutual edification, and in the conversion of sinners. And if these two ends are not really answered by a church, it is a mere name, a hindrance, an evil, a nuisance, like the salt which has lost its savor. It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. May we all in our church fellowship be active in the energy of the Spirit of God. May none of us be dead members of the living body, mere impediments to the royal host, baggage to be dragged rather than warriors pushing on in the war. May we, every one of us, be soldiers filled with the vigor to the fullness of our manhood by the eternal power of the Holy Spirit. And may we be resolved that any portion of the church which does not uplift its banner of service shall not long number us amongst its adherents. Be it ours to determine that whether others will or will not serve God and extend the kingdom of His dear Son, we will, in His name and strength, contend even to the death. Unsheathe our swords, ye soldiers of the cross. Arise from your slumbers, ye careless ones. Gird on your swords and prepare for the war. The Lord has redeemed you by His blood, not that you might sleep, but that you might fight for the glory of His name. That's a man sold out for Christ. That's a true under-shepherd. That's a man who is decidedly with Christ. There's no neutrality in Charles Spurgeon. May God grant us that heart. A heart given over to the service of our King. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Spurgeon again says this. He calls us to ask ourselves a series of sober, soldierly questions. Quote, Will each one here say to himself, an army, a company of warriors, am I one of them? Am I a soldier? I have entered the church, I make a profession, but am I really a soldier? Do I fight? Do I endure hardness? Am I a mere carpet knight, a mere lie-abed soldier? One of those who are pleased to put on the regimentals in order to adorn myself with a profession without ever going to war? Am I a soldier? 
of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Pass the question round, my dear brethren and sisters. Are you soldiers who engage in actual fighting for Jesus under His banner? Do you rally around it? Do you know the standard? Do you love it? Could you die in defense of it? Is the person of Jesus dearest of all things to you? Do you value the doctrine of atoning substitution? Do you feel your own energy and power awakened in the defense of that and for the love of that? Let not one go away without making the searching question. Am I? A soldier of Christ. Oh, for the time to search with you through the entire book of Acts. You know what Acts is? It's the history of the soldiers of Christ advancing with the banner of Christ going before, establishing the kingdom of Christ in the earth boldly. Boldly. It's the history of gospel sedition. It's the history of Christ's church carrying out sedition against this world system ruled by the devil. That's the book of Acts. It's an exciting book. If you haven't read it lately, open it. Read it. It's full of your people, Christ people, His soldiers fighting a good fight, and you want to be like them. You want to emulate them. You want to, with them, say to the forces that stand against Christ, church, this, from Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. When all the world unites against you and says, You shall not speak the name of Jesus. You shall not meet for the worship of Jesus. You shall not get trained and equipped and march out as to war to advance the kingdom of Jesus. You shall be silent. That is when the church, that is when every soldier that is when every spirit-filled Christian says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's Christ's church. That's the sedition of the church against this world system. Which sedition are you part of? I praise God by His grace. We're standing against this world system. By His grace, we're standing for Christ and His cross. By His grace, we're standing for His gospel. And against these lies that have come into Christ's church, these deceptions, this false gospel, this false Christianity, and these false Christians who are unrepentant, who are still dead in their sins, who are being dragged down to hell while going to worship service, or thankfully right now not going to worship service because their churches are closed. We must understand that what's going on around us has a solution. And the solution is the church of Jesus Christ being the church of Jesus Christ. The church has always been at odds with this world. It's always been at odds with governing authorities. Peaceably so, mind you. Not taking up arms. But the church has always been fugitive. The church has always been persecuted. The church has always suffered. And it would seem that our time of suffering may be upon us. If it is, then we press on and we endure. The only way I see that the church will not suffer in the decades ahead is if the church stands up and says, no, we will not close. In fact, we will open our doors both ways. We will open them for the saints to come in, that they might be equipped, and then we'll open them again that they might march out as to war. And they will war. 
They will not be silent. They will speak the name of Jesus Christ. They will speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will speak the word of Jesus Christ, our King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, considering soberly the mission of your church, the sedition that your church is against this world system. May we be a loving sedition, a peaceful sedition, but a real sedition that will not be silenced, that will not shut down, that will not back up, that will not retreat, that will continue through the power of your spirit to advance the kingdom of Christ in the earth. Lord, we pray that many of the churches that are closed will never open again. The synagogues of Satan, that their doors will be shut forever. The servants of Satan preaching a false gospel and a false god, that their mouths will be shut forever. And may you raise up your true church, Lord, for your glory and for the blessing of individual souls that must come to repentance and faith in Christ, as well as our nation as a whole and the nations of this earth. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.